Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. Hello, I am Professor Robert E.G. Black, host of, among other shows, Annihilation Minute, looking at the science fiction film Annihilation, one minute per episode, one episode per week. I will be your host for Minute 99. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are maybe, but also, not what you think. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are maybe, but also, not exactly what you think. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are babies, children, and men, sons of mothers, fathers, and siblings embraced. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are soldiers, combatants, and friends, bags of bone, soul, and flesh choiced under pressure. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are friends, strangers, individuals, citizens, fight or flight, kill or be killed, do what's right in a moment. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are martyrs, victims, vicious, vigilant, protectors, devils, angels, inspiration, killers, saints. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are fathers, husbands, neighbors, cousins and uncles, sons, brethren and foe, enemies and allies. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms hold each other high in the highest regards. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms protect, brothers in arms destroy, brothers in arms create, brothers in arms lead and follow. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms first and foremost are brothers in arms. Brothers in arms are brothers forever, together. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are down for whatever, down for each other no matter what. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are all for one and one for all, whether it be three musketeers or three billion three hundred thousand thirty-three. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are power, love, hope, hate, confusion, conviction, dedication, distance, all for one, one for all. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are all that is, are all that isn't. Brothers in arms are all that we fight for, be it protective, be it avenged, be it proactive, be it revenged. Each source comes full force out of love and or hate. Love for one brother or hate towards one other out of love. For and from brothership. Problem is we each are own separated by culture. Oceans, bordering, religions, caste systems, and racial quarrelings. Brothers fight, brothers lie, brothers kill, brothers die. Brothers hate, brothers love, brothers create. Brothers destroy, brothers forgive, brothers forget. Brothers don't, brothers won't, brothers do. Eft up-ish. Out of love. Brothers in arms are many things. Brothers in arms are human beings. Brothers in arms, balls in your court and mine. F it. I'll be your huckleberry. I'm your huckleberry. Okay, corral. Nusku Asar, Brothers in Arms. Novak, at least that's what I've been told by other ex-servicemen, that the government guarantees loans to us if we want to buy it. Any person who shall have served in the active military or naval service of the United States at any time, on or after September 16, 1940, and prior to the termination of the present war, and who shall have been discharged or released therefrom under conditions other than dishonorable after active service or 90 days or more, or by reason of an injury or disability incurred in service in line of duty, shall be eligible for the benefits of this title. 
Any such veterans may apply within two years after separation from the military or naval forces, or two years after termination of the war, whichever is the later date, but in no event more than five years after the termination of the war, to the Administrator of Veterans Affairs for the guarantee by the Administrator of not to exceed 50% of a loan or loans for any of the purposes specified in Sections 501, 502, and 503, provided that the aggregate amount guaranteed shall not exceed $2,000. If the administrator finds that the veteran is eligible for the benefits of this title and that the loan applied for appears practicable, the administrator shall guarantee the payment of the part thereof as set forth in this title. Al, your, your loan, loan would be administered through this, through this bank, bank, which would put up, put up half, half of the $6,000 you require. Now, that involves risk for this bank, bank Mr. Novak. Al notices something out of frame to the right, and we cut to angle across the bank. Among numerous other customers... Homer is there at the table in the open area in the middle of the bank. He sets something down. He pulls aside the right side of his jacket with his right hook, reaches in with his left, and retrieves a large leather wallet. We hear Al say, Excuse me. As Al comes into frame from left, walking away from camera and toward Homer, let us take a brief diversion into the Social Service Administration breakdown of what Title III of the Servicemen's Readjustment Act set up, specifically. One detail. Alas, I had trouble finding the entire text of the original bill. Quote, the administrator shall designate such agency or agencies, if any, as he finds equipped to determine whether the guarantee of the loan should be approved under the title. No security for the guarantee is required, but the government must have the right of subrogation to the extent of the guarantee paid. In case of default, the government must have the right to bid on foreclosure proceedings or to refinance, and liability under the guarantee must decrease or increase with the decrease or increase of the amount of unpaid obligation. End quote. The key line there, no security for the guarantee is required, meaning the half guaranteed by the government does not require collateral. Also, Hilary Herbold points out in the Journal of Blacks in Higher Education, winter 1994-1995, quote, It is important to note the link between the GI Bill and the rise of the white middle class. When universities accommodated themselves to the needs of veterans, the structure of education itself in this country changed. In a recent article, Peter F. Drucker notes, the GI Bill of Rights and the enthusiastic response to it on the part of America's veterans signaled a shift to a knowledge society. In this society, knowledge is the primary resource for individuals and for the economy overall. The wave of veterans changed the emphasis in universities from the gentleman's classical education to more applied sciences, such as engineering and economics, according to historian Michael Bennett, who says, the veterans took higher education out of the Ivy League and into something more approaching the real world. The GI Bill afforded a generation of working-class Americans an unprecedented opportunity to earn a college degree, and served for many as a lever into economic security. At the same time, the university came to define and ensure the ongoing production of a white middle class, rather than solely a training ground for the moneyed elite. But because blacks had fewer opportunities to earn college degrees, with or without benefits, the black middle class failed to keep pace. End quote. History.com says, quote, the government guaranteed loans for veterans who borrowed money to purchase a home, business, or farm. These loans enabled hordes of people to abandon city life and move to mass-produced, cookie-cutter homes in suburbia. This exodus from major cities would help shape America's socioeconomic and political landscape for years to come. End quote. Robert Levinson, WarOnTheRocks.com, 11 September 2020. Quote, it would be difficult to overstate the impact of the GI Bill on American society. An article in the Saturday Evening Post concluded that the 1950s prosperity wouldn't have been possible without millions of veterans who had upgraded their skills with the Servicemen's Readjustment Act and set a new standard of living for themselves and their children and grandchildren. 
the GI Bill funded the educations of 22,000 dentists, 67,000 doctors, 91,000 scientists, 238,000 teachers, 240,000 accountants, 450,000 engineers, 14 Nobel Prize winners, and two dozen Pulitzer Prize winners. Among the beneficiaries were Presidents Gerald Ford and George H.W. Bush, Supreme Court Justices William Rehnquist, John Paul Stevens, and Byron White, Senators Bob Dole, John Glenn, George Mitchell, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and Alan Simpson, Representatives Ronald Dellums and Charles Rangel, Civil Rights Activists Medgar Evers and Hosea Williams, as well as Harry Belafonte, Johnny Cash, Clint Eastwood, Paul Newman, and Walter Matthau. By 1956, the education and training benefits had paid out $14.5 billion about $137 billion in 2020 dollars. Congress estimated that for every dollar spent under the GI Bill, the U.S. economy received $7 in return. While it might be difficult to measure exactly, the post-World War II economic boom in which the United States grew to be the dominant economic power in the world was to a significant degree underwritten by the GI Bill. America was trying to do right by its veterans, and they returned the favor. The bill in some ways was also a boost for American equality. Children from poor immigrant, Jewish, Irish, and Italian families in the cities, as well as those from poor rural farm families, had an opportunity for a college education that their parents never could have dreamed of. But while, technically, the benefits of the GI Bill were open to all veterans, indeed there is nothing in the law that discriminates on the basis of race. Black, white, Negro, segregation, colored, or discrimination appear nowhere in the text of the law. But that doesn't tell the whole story. The key sponsor of the bill in the House was Representative John Rankin, a notorious racist from Mississippi. Rankin had fought for laws banning interracial marriage, against laws penalizing lynching, and for the poll tax. Rankin ensured that particular language was included in the law to ensure race would be taken into account. No department, agency, or officer of the United States, in carrying out the provisions of this part, shall exercise any supervision or control whatsoever over any state educational agency or state apprenticeship agency or any educational or training institution. Rankin knew that, at least in the South, the GI Bill's education benefits would be filtered through state agencies that were governed by both the formal and informal rules of Jim Crow. He could rely on the banks and the Federal Housing Administration to help ensure that the home loans would also be restricted. The bill paid for college, but how many colleges were open to black Americans? In the South, Blacks were barred completely from most colleges and universities, and in the North, their options were extremely limited. End quote. Joseph Thompson explains further, MilitaryTimes.com, 9th November 2019. Quote, Black service members had a different kind of experience. The GI Bill's race-neutral language had filled the one million African-American veterans with hope that they, too, could take advantage of federal assistance. Integrated universities and historically black colleges and universities, commonly known as the HBCUs, welcomed black veterans and their federal dollars, which led to the growth of a new black middle class in the immediate post-war years. Yet, the underfunding of HBCUs limited opportunities for these large numbers of black veterans. Schools like the Tuskegee Institute and Alcorn State lacked government investment in their infrastructure and simply could not accommodate an influx of so many students, whereas well-funded white institutions were more equipped to take in students. Research has also revealed that a lack of formal secondary education for black soldiers prior to their service inhibited their paths to colleges and universities. End quote. As historian Ira Katznelson puts it in When Affirmative Action Was White, the GI Bill was effectively earmarked for white veterans only. But this is a story of white veterans. This is not a black story. So we take it as it is. In an expanded story, Novak might be the d'Artagnan to our three musketeer veterans, navigating their way into the white middle class and a world that generations to come will revere.
Val approaches Homer, and we cut to a narrower angle, as Al specifically rests his right hand close to Homer, so he will be noticed. Homer looks up. Homer, Al. Al, Homer. Homer! He grabs the left lapel of Homer's jacket and pulls on it briefly, then slaps his shoulder gently. Al, Homer, look, look at, at you. you, look, look at, at you. you. <laughs> he looks around, then back to Al. Homer, so, so this, this is where you work. work. Al looks down at the small stack of cash Homer is attempting to slide into his wallet with his left hook. Al, sort, sort of. of. Hey, what, what are you doing, doing here, sticking up the bank? bank? Homer holds up his cash with his left hook, touches it with his right. Homer, look at it, Al. Two hundred leaves of cabbage. That's what I get every month from old Mr. Whiskers from now on. Pretty soft, eh? Old Mr. Whiskers, you might guess, is a reference to Uncle Sam. AmericanDialect.org cites the use of Mr. Whiskers as early as 1933 and suggests that its use for the federal government or agents thereof might also be where we ended up with the police being called the Fuzz. Al. Pretty soft. Homer puts the money into his wallet. Al watches. Al. You sure, sure we, we haven't shortchanged you? Homer closes his wallet, puts it back inside his jacket as he talks. Homer. Oh, well, no. I, I kept my eye on that guy, guy when he counting it out. <laughs> Al laughs. Homer. Say, hey, Al, did, did you know Fred Derry had a job with a midway drug? As Homer looks up, this is where we leave Homer and Al, in the Gordon Melt Bank, talking of their mutual friend, Fred. Thank you for listening. I have been Professor Robert E. G. Black. Among my various shows, you can find me as the host of Annihilation Minute taking an in-depth look at the science fiction film Annihilation with scientific research, behind-the-scenes details, and notes from the novel and other works. You can find the Best Minutes podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminutes.com. Or follow the show on social media at Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Cafe, on Facebook, and on Twitter at The Best Minutes. Please join me here next time on the Best Minutes podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.